Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold in my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil doors, evil doors assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet shall I be confident. One thing have I asked the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me upon a high rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be grievous to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O oh God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O oh Lord, and lead me on level paths because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out in violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong. Let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. text this morning is Mark 8, uh, looking at verses 1 through 21. The psalmist David here represents well, I think, um, the attitude uh, with which our in our passage Jesus will, um, will raise up as the way one seeks faith. We see David assigning God... Um, the one who truly knows him, the one who truly rescues him. And we see him expressing his faith that God will take care of him, that God will protect him. We see a, a simple faith that begs of God. If you remember from last Sunday, there's a, there's a part of faith that begs of God to give us what we cannot create on our own. In our text this morning, we have another retelling, or I shouldn't say a retelling, another incident where Jesus feeds a large crowd in the wilderness. We have another interaction with some Pharisees, and then we see uh, the disciples um, kind of doing their standard thing as well of, of kind of bickering among themselves and, and Jesus trying to bring them to understanding. We want to look in here at specifically what about these people, or what about the way that they approached Jesus? What about the way that they expressed faith or doubt? And how did Jesus respond to that? 
So our text again is Mark 8, and I'll begin reading at verse 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? As we consider this passage, we see, I think, these three groups of people and the way Jesus responds to them. As a main idea, I would say that Jesus provides for the needs of those who act in humble faith. He rejects those who act in doubt. And he calls those who do not yet understand to deeper understanding. Jesus provides for those who act in faith. He rejects those who act in doubt. And he calls those who do not yet understand to understand. A number of things as we look at this story, we see that Jesus is still in Gentile territory. Um, if you remember from chapter 7, Jesus went north to the city of Tyre and then came down to the west side, excuse me, the east side of Galilee. And um, 
there he healed a, a Gentile deaf-mute man. And it seems that in that, um, that happening, remember Jesus wanted the people to be quiet, but they couldn't. And it seems a crowd of people gathered. Uh, Jesus is still kind of staying away from the Pharisees because they're continually attacking him, as we'll see later in this passage. Again, as a side note, we cannot underestimate the effort of Mark to make a clear statement of Jesus accepting the Gentiles. From the statement in chapter 7 of making food clean and then going to Gentile territory, healing some and giving this miraculous meal to Gentiles, not Jews, Jesus is stating clearly his intention to be the Savior of Jew and Gentile. He is the bread of life to both. And also notice that Jesus refers to their faith as true faith. Jesus refers to the way they acted as the way one should truly act in faith. We left Jesus in chapter 7 healing uh, the deaf-mute Gentile man on, again, the east side of Galilee. And then, and so now Jesus is with this crowd of people that have gathered. Um, some speculate that, that possibly this group of people with, that are showing faith may be resulting from uh, the healed demon-possessed man that Jesus had cast the demon out earlier. And he said, no, teach your people. And Jesus is in that same area. So some speculate that these may have been people that heard the good news from that man. And so we see that Jesus provides for those who act in faith. In this feeding, unlike the feeding of the 5,000, where the disciples were sort of conniving around trying to get Jesus to get rid of the crowd so that they could have alone time with Jesus, here we see Jesus responding in care and concern to the fact that these people had been with him for three whole days and, had, and didn't have sufficient food. And he's concerned that you know, if he sends them away to go home, they're not going to have enough food to, to make a, a, a proper journey. And so he goes to the disciples and he says, what food do you have? In this case, it seems he's planning to perform this great sign, whereas it seemed in the other feeding he was reacting. This feeding is Jesus' idea. And the disciples again respond in their kind of dull, haphazard way. Where would you find food here to feed all these people? Um, and if, if that rings some bells, it's exactly the same thing they said before. You know, how are we supposed to get food here? Or maybe... Maybe they're unsure. Maybe they remember the miracle, but they're not sure Jesus would do this for Gentiles. They're not sure that he'll do it again. Now, there is some argument. Some people actually say that this is a kind of a retelling of the original feeding of the 5,000, that there wasn't two separate. Um, but I think we see later in the passage, Jesus clearly refers to both as separate events. Um, and so we would understand them to be two separate feedings. And Jesus takes what bread they have, um, and, he did, and as he did before, um, he has them sit down, and he takes what little resources they have, and he spreads it among. Again, showing that we may feel our resources are small, but when Jesus uses them, he can multiply them. 
After breaking the bread, it seems a few fish show up. Not sure if somebody went and threw a line in or what happened, but um, Jesus blesses them and distributes that as well. And similar to the previous story, Jesus immediately dismisses this crowd and he joins the disciples um, in the boat to return to the west side of the Sea of Galilee. If we look back to chapter 7 and again consider the Syrophoenician woman and her faith and the faith of the deaf-mute man's friends and the faith of this crowd to stay with Jesus for three whole days, they assign to Jesus a simple faith. They trust Him to care for their needs. And Jesus does. He rewards those who in confident, trusting faith come to Him. It's the faith of a child that trusts and doesn't doubt. We then turn to the Pharisees. And Jesus gets on the boat and returns across the sea or the lake. Or... And immediately, it seems, the Pharisees are there again to question him. Jesus left the boundaries of Israel to kind of get away from this. And when he returns without delay, they're right back. And this time they say, give us a sign. Give us a sign that we may truly know who you are. We really want to know if you're the true one from heaven, so give us a sign. This really is a means of stating doubt. This is not the humble attitude of a true seeker. The attitude is one of contempt. Jesus, we know you can heal a few people, and we know you've cast out some demons, but we've seen that elsewhere, and our scriptures tell us as prophets who have done this, so it's not really that great. Give us something really spectacular that we could truly believe. This would be like uh, going to a rather wealthy person's mansion, and over the hood of their Ferrari, asking them to buy you ten more to really, really, really prove that they are rich. The attitude is not one of request. It's not one of humble faith. It's one of spite. It's one of doubt. We've seen some some good stuff, but we want you to do something really, really spectacular. Is this not the attitude of much of modern humanity towards God and even among much of Christendom? If you look across the media and the books and the things that sell and the things that attract people, it's it's things like, I came back from heaven, so you must believe sorts of books. These fantastic otherworldly tales are an attempt to, first of all, make money. Let's be honest. Why did one come out and then five came out? Because the first one made a lot of money. But second of all, they betray what we really think about God. Yes, God does promise an eternal reward in His Word, but we need something a little more extreme. How about the dreams of a child who died and supposedly went to heaven and came back, who describes all sorts of fantastic things? This is much better than Jesus saying, I will prepare a place for you. 
The really bad part is that they try to use these tales as evangelism. Here, unbeliever, watch or read this fantastic tale and, and you'll definitely come to believe. Here's something spectacular that's going to force you to believe. No mention of sin, no mention of the death necessary to atone, no disciple, just a fantastic sign to prove to you that heaven is real. And so how does Jesus respond to that nonsense? He sighs deeply, and he says in the Matthew 16 account, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. No sign will be given. You see, Jesus could do a sign that would be impressive enough. And he could do a sign that's impressive enough that all would be forced to believe. But Jesus is not about compelling people to believe out of force. Jesus doesn't respond to doubt by overwhelmingly forcing it to change. That day will come in eternity where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. But in the here and now, the story and witness of Jesus calls each of us to respond in faith. We are to see ourselves truthfully as unable and to come begging to Christ to give us what we do not have and what we cannot create. The Pharisees didn't really want Jesus. They didn't really want to believe. It was merely questioning in doubt. And the true seeker comes not attempting to prove his doubt, but the true seeker comes attempting to truly know, to understand. And finally, in in the interaction with the disciples, we see that Jesus calls those who do not yet understand. I think there's a difference between doubt and a difference and between a lack of understanding. As we consider this story, the, the disciples hurriedly leave the Pharisees in the boat, and Jesus is with them. And Somehow they don't have enough food with them. They've only got one loaf of bread, and if you know 12 hungry men, uh, one loaf of bread probably isn't enough. And they're kind of fussing at each other, who's responsible for this? We don't have any bread. There's not enough food. I'm hungry. Peter, why didn't you bring enough bread? And Jesus makes a, a couple statements. And he warns them of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. Leaven refers to yeast. Yeast that in a small amount has a great effect on the whole. The yeast of the Pharisees is often seen as their unbelief and is shown in their hypocrisy. What they say with their tongue and with their external appearance, they do not believe with their heart. And Jesus says that their evil hearts comes out as they twist Scripture The leaven of Herod refers to a political means of control. 
and a means of using force to attain what you wish to be right. As we know, the disciples had um, uh, plenty of draw towards that understanding. They were going to be the revolutionaries. They were going to be the ones that chase away Rome. And Jesus was going to be their leader. And Jesus was going to be their king. And Jesus is saying, beware, beware, don't be a hypocrite. Don't think this idea of force is going to be the way to do things. And the disciples, as normal, don't understand. They're among themselves saying, we don't understand what he said, but we think it has something to do with the fact that we don't have enough bread. Again, forced to their physical needs. And Jesus responds, imploring them again to get their minds out of the here and now and the physical realities that dominate them. How could they be concerned with their needs when the one in the boat has shown them over and over again his willingness and his ability to care for them? He just abundantly fed 4,000 people. How could 12 in a boat be a problem? But you see, Jesus has a different method when dealing with this lack of understanding than he does with the one who doubts. Jesus rebukes the Pharisees, but he reasons with the disciples, and he calls them to understand. He doesn't just reject them and walk away, but he takes some time and he implores them to understand. And we see, again, until the crucifixion, he continues to do so, to seek to call them to understand. And we see that after his resurrection, they finally do understand. And they become the men who change the world. So what is your posture towards Jesus? How is it that you come in faith? Do you come to him questioning with doubt? Has he not proven himself? Does he have something to prove? Do those doubting questions, are those the ones that rule the day in your heart? Are you waiting for him to spectacularly prove your doubts wrong? And when he does so, then you'll truly believe. The other question we could ask is, how committed are we to our current understanding? You know, sometimes we're like the disciples. We, we, we know what we believe. We think we have a handle on things. We think things are the way they are. And we march ahead with that understanding, but very clearly the, the disciples had it wrong. Their understanding was incorrect, and Jesus was continually trying to call them back to a true understanding. Are we committed to our understanding? Are we set that the way we understand things has to be the way things are? Or are we willing to allow Christ to lead us into a deeper and more full understanding? Do we read His Word to learn, or do we read it to seek to garnish our understanding? 
I think Jesus' call is here is why not come to him in simple faith? Why not come to him as he is the source of true understanding? If we're honest with ourselves, what really do we have figured out? What really do we truly and fully understand? Who are we to question God's ways? Who are we to claim superior understanding? But Jesus responds here to simple, trusting faith. Faith that assigns to Jesus the source of truth. Faith faith that assigns to Jesus the ability to take care of our needs. Jesus denies the doubting request. He teaches the slow to understand. And he rewards the simple, begging faith of the true believer. Shall we pray? Father, this morning, in your grace, we pray that you would would look upon us. Father, we often rest on our own understanding. We rest on our means and our ways. And Father, forgive us of that. Help us to assign to Christ true understanding, true ability to care for our needs, true ability to see uh, the future and what it holds. And Father, in simple childlike faith, uh, may we trust Him. Forgive us, Father, where we doubt where we ask of you to to prove, where we ask of you to um, kind of compel our will. And Father, in the areas where we do not understand fully, would we be open to your word? Would we be open to the Spirit's leading in, in learning and understanding things as you see them? Father, that in our church, in our families, and in our communities, um, you would do this work in our hearts. We pray this through Christ. Amen.